after talking with um, renters and with property managers about the challenges of keeping information up to date on all the different waiting lists that exist in the um, affordable space, but then also in talking with some owners around um, COVID-19 and how things are changing in the way that people are thinking about managing their properties, um, I think this is, will be a, a great resource to consider in, you know, when you do have a vacancy coming available, do you want to have sort of a ready list of folks who have self-reported to you um, their household size, their income, and what they're looking for that they really are interested in your property. So that rather than um, trying to field a lot of phone calls and visits to the property, you would already have a you know, list of folks um, on a waiting list who are ready to come in and rent from you. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the Apartment Owner's Guide to Operating Rental Properties as a Successful Business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan, it takes tested systems, and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. All right, welcome back everybody to another episode of Maximizing Your Property Value. I'm so glad that you have joined us today and I'm really excited for our guest today who is Sue Speakman Gomez. Sue, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi John, I'm happy to be here. Very good, so just a little bit about Sue. She has been the president of Minnesota's Housing Link since 2010. Previously, she was the Community Relations Manager at Housing Link. In her role, she steers the organization, which was founded in 1999, toward its mission to improve people's lives through information expanding their affordable rental options. With a staff of eight, Housing Link provides the most comprehensive rental housing information in Minnesota. There were 1.4 million searches for affordable housing in Minnesota through their website in 2019. Sue is a graduate of the University of Minnesota Twin Cities with a BA in American Studies and has operated 26 units of market rate rental housing since 1999. So uh, with that brief bio, Sue, could you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and how you got into your role today? Sure. Um, so I actually um, sort of almost literally fell into the world of multifamily housing and the nonprofit sector. Um, so back in the late 90s, um, you know, I had graduated from college and I was looking for employment. I had done a short stint in um, commercial property management through Welsh companies in downtown St. Paul. And then I actually took a position um, over at Anoka County in the community development department working with the home funds and continuum of care, which is really focused on um, homeless programs in Anoka County and now throughout statewide, nationwide, they have 
uh, the funding available. And um, in meantime, I started working for our family's um, rental property business in Anoka and helped to, I lived on site and managed our 24 unit property and then later on added a duplex to my portfolio. Um, and I still actively manage those today. And then um, after a couple of years at Anoka County, moved over to Housing Link to help recruit landlords to work with Housing Link to advertise vacancies and um, consider renting to folks with Section 8 vouchers and other resources. So I've been at Housing Link actually since 2002, um, but in the role of president now for the last 10 years. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a very um, great background to have there. And you know, having the personal experience with rental properties and also um, advocating for landlords and tenants through your organization there. So very neat. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how Housing Link got started and what kind of need was Housing Link trying to fill? So back in the mid 1990s, there was a lawsuit against the city of Minneapolis and Minneapolis Public Housing Authority about um, concentration of race and poverty in North Minneapolis and sort of intentionally um, segregating African-American households into North Minneapolis. And as part of the lawsuit, later Metro HRA actually joined the lawsuit um, and it was renters who working with legal aid brought the lawsuit against these agencies. And when the lawsuit um, settled in court, there was a consent decree. So it's known as the Holman Consent Decree. Um, so it's Holman, H-O-L-L-M-A-N-B Cisneros, if anyone really wants to read about it. Um, and so as a, there was a paragraph in that consent decree that talked about creating a clearinghouse of affordable rental housing information. So Housing Link was actually born out of a paragraph. Um, so a group of um, landlords, renter advocates, legal aid attorneys, folks from HUD, Minneapolis Public Housing, Metro HRA, Hennepin County, all came together and had a lot of conversations over a few years and ultimately Housing Link was formed out of this broad base of community landlords and renter advocates. And so, um, and our mission is very much still the same as it was back then. Um, it's, you know, we've maybe updated a few of the terms, but really we're focused on increasing housing choice and access for renters in now Minnesota, we originally started out just serving the Twin Cities. And the way we do that is by helping to get landlords to advertise vacancies for our site. We capture listings from Craigslist and other sources and share them through our site. And we also help educate and inform renters and landlords about the landlord-tenant relationship, fair housing, what does it mean, how might it impact you, really in the furtherance of helping renters have more choice and access in our community and also sort of helping to lift up landlords to be doing the best job they can. Okay. Well, that sounds like, you know, it's a great mission and, and lots of good action items there. Um, so why don't we dive into that a little bit? And I don't know if this might be a good time to bring up the Housing Link website, which where a lot of the resources are housed. Um, but what can you point out some of the educational and and other type of resources that Housing Link makes available? Absolutely. So I'll go ahead and take over and share my screen. <laughs> and so on here, this is housinglink.org. Uh, we are a nonprofit, so it's always a .org. Um, and so we have several main sections to our website. Prominent here right on the homepage is the search function so that when renters come here, 
It's mobile friendly. If it's a mobile screen, you really see that where do you want to rent in Minnesota is the leading piece that you get to interact with. So you can enter a city, a county, a zip code. You can enter the name of a school or a place of employment um, and then start your housing search. So we did 1.4 million searches in 2019 and we had about 21,000 listings advertised through the site. So um, a decent amount of traffic considering that Zillow does 10 million nationwide. Um, and so we also, um, within each header on the website, have information. So we explain all of the different subsidized housing programs and what they mean for renters and for owners. For property owners and managers, we have a whole list of information, resources specific to COVID-19. This is how you come in and access your account and create listings to share through our site. We have um, information we're working with the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs to help end veteran homelessness. So we have information on those programs. Um, as well as um, just other information and resources. We close, work closely with the Minnesota Multi-Housing Association. And so you'll see like our Minnesota eviction process um, really connects you over to the information they've created and resources, as well as our landlord meeting calendar also includes a lot of their events as well. Um, housing resources is really dedicated a fair amount to renters, but also I would say in the accessibility and the fair housing sections, there's a lot of awareness and education resources that are both for renters and for landlords that help explain what is fair housing, what might it look like when you're in a conversation with someone. We have short form videos that help explain the different topics. Um, and then we also have our Beyond Backgrounds program, which we'll probably talk about a little bit more um, in a minute. And then under our data and research tab, we actually have launched in the last, in 2019, we launched the Minneapolis Rental Housing Brief and St. Paul Rental Housing Brief, which look at what's happening each month in the rental market. And now with COVID-19 having such a big impact in our um, communities everywhere, uh, we've added this COVID-19 rental housing trends section of the website where each month we're adding in data. So you can see we cover January through April at this point, and we look at what are the median rents that we're capturing? This includes listings advertised through our site, as well as those that we get from listing feeds from management companies and data that we pull from Craigslist and other sources. And it includes the entire market, not just affordable rental, but even including the luxury market. Um, so we have uh, rent data, um, data by building type, by rental type, private market affordable, affordable housing. And then we also look at um, specialty listings because we, of course, market heavily and work closely with accessible housing and veteran-friendly options as well. So that's kind of <laughs> a lot, um, but in a nutshell, we have a ton of information and resource available through our website. Most of the research that we've been doing goes back to um, 2005 or 2007 the newest things being those rental housing briefs. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see a lot of valuable information here, um, all the way from somebody who might be new to being a, a landlord. You know, there's just some basic information about the different uh, subsidized housing that are available, because I think there's maybe a lot of confusion or just vagueness if you're not mm -hmm. in the know. So I see this as a great way to 
have a kind of a one-stop shop to find out all this information. Um, and then also, obviously, the data that you just mentioned, that's really helpful for owners to know um, so that they can see if their rents are on target with the rest of the marketplace. Can you talk a little bit about, maybe let's, let's pull out some of these uh, subsidized housing options. And is there's a good way to compare one to another or what is what a, kind of a starting point that a landlord should go to? to? So there's a couple of things to sort of think about. Um, people often confuse Section 8 vouchers and a program called project-based Section 8. And so Section 8 vouchers are where the renter, they literally used to get like a certificate that they would walk around with. Um, now it's not quite so literally a piece of paper, um, but the, the subsidy is attached to the person. And when that person goes and rents a place, um, the housing authority, which is a quasi-governmental agency, helps to pay a portion of their rent. And then the household pays 30 to 40% of their income towards the rent. So two parties pay rent to the landlord, but they can use that in any um, private market or tax credit um, development, but they cannot use that in public housing or a project-based Section 8 unit. And so public housing is, you know, the big buildings that you think of um, where the housing authorities access government dollars to build the properties. And while someone is living there, they pay 30% of their income for rent. To qualify to live there, it really is just an income calculation for all of the um, housing programs that are really sort of the, the core subsidized housing programs. They all are income qualifying programs. So a household has to be earning less than 50 or 60% of area median income or less than 30% of area median income to qualify. Um, Project-based Section 8 is where the property has a contract with HUD directly and every tenant who lives in that property is only paying 30% of their income for their housing. Similar to public housing, but that is a program that um, there really isn't any new funding for these developments today, but back in the 70s when these were really active um, in getting funding, any private market landlord could decide, yep, I want to opt in and do this contract with HUD and develop these units. Um, and so they're required to operate off of waiting lists and different things. So there's um, some challenges for renters in getting access to those. And then section 42 is the um, also known as LIHTC or the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program. And that again is where a developer goes and accesses the federal resource when they're creating, building the property. And then there's um, restrictions about who can live there at what percent of area median income. And there's maximum rents that they can charge, but it is not, um, but renters actually pay um, like a full rent. They don't get a rent reduction based on their income, but if they make too much money, they can't live there. <laughs> so it's sort of targeted to really help sort of median, like middle income households where, you know, if you think about like your teachers or police officers, tax credits are really um, a program that serves a lot of those populations really well. Okay. Yeah, I can, that's a great, I can see on your webpage and for anybody who's just listening to this and not viewing it, um, you can go see this, what we're looking at on YouTube, or you can just go directly to housinglink.org. And right now we're looking at the 
the page that says uh, subsidized housing and has some links to these different programs that Sue was just mentioning and covering. So more details are on the website. So Sue, can you talk to the idea that a lot of landlords have a, a hesitancy about working with tenants that are on say section eight or some other type of subsidy and how, what resources are available to landlords so that they can become more comfortable with, with the idea and, and the renters who are using these programs? So there's a few things. Um, you know, first of all, the housing authorities have changed the way that they operate their programs quite a bit over the last 10 to 20 years. Um, so I will say that the housing authorities have really um, reviewed their protocols and looked at their documentation and things to really think about um, how do we make sure that we're treating the landlord as a customer in this process and an ally. Um, so I think that's been great to see. Um, the way that the Section 8 voucher program works from a landlord perspective is um, they advertise that they're willing to accept a Section 8 voucher um, from, a, from a renter or if they hadn't thought about it when someone contacts them and you know is interested in renting and has a voucher, all the landlord has to do is um, run the background check on a person like they normally do. They can use their normal resident selection criteria, go through all of their normal process, and when they decide, yeah, this is a great candidate for my property, I want to rent to them, then um, at that point, they'll be asked to sign a request for tenancy form. And so they fill out this form, which gets submitted to the housing authority. And the housing authority uses that to look at what utility is the renter paying and what is that um, average monthly rental cost. And so on our site, you can see in the subsidized housing section, we have this Section 8 payment standards link. Um, and so you can go here and look at where in the metro area, or we have a list of all the housing authorities in greater Minnesota. And you can select, I'm just going to pick Metro HRA because it's the largest geographic one in the Twin Cities. But when you select that geography, it will tell you what is the maximum rent amount that the housing authority can look at paying for a unit. And then um, what are the utility allowances? And so in, um, if you're in an exception community, that means that there's slightly higher rent limits that apply because the nature of that community is just that the rents are higher, like Maple Grove, Minnetonka, Hopkins, Roseville, those um, suburbs that are really tight to the you know, core areas where folks are really wanting to live, the rents are a little bit higher, so the payment standard goes a little bit higher. So for a two bedroom in an exception community, it's $1,265 a month. So the housing authority looks at the rent that you're charging to see, does it fall within the payment standard? Because if it's, you know, a two bedroom for 1600 a month, it can't, they can't pay that rent. It's outside of the rules allowed by the federal government. Um, and so then they might contact the landlord and have a conversation and see if there can be any um, adjustment in that rent. Um, but generally, you know, assuming that your rent falls within the payment standard, um, sometimes the utility allowance, if there's things um, that might typically be paid for by a tenant, but the landlord is paying for it, there sometimes can be adjustments made to look at that payment standard where they can say, oh, payment standard plus utility allowance, it works out, and so it doesn't become an issue. Um, and so they, they do that step. It actually goes very quickly. 
Um, and then you, you sign a lease with the renter. And then there's an inspection of the property, which is um, a basic health and safety inspection where, um, I mean, again, these are federal dollars that are being used. And so they're required by the federal government to come in and do this inspection looking for um, common items that will fail is like missing outlet covers, broken windows or torn window screens, exposed electrical wiring, um, trip hazards, like if there's a rip or a tear in a linoleum floor, um, that kind of thing. So most people who are maintaining their property in a good condition don't have difficulty passing the, um, the inspection. So, um, but that inspection does need to happen before the house, and you have to pass it before the housing authority can pay any rent to you. If you do fail the inspection for some reason, you have um, you know, up to 30 days to make the repair and report it to the housing authority. Um, again, most of the time, I think when properties are in good condition, they don't have a significant issue with inspections, but it certainly can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's good to understand the process uh, for, because we often get as, as landlords, if we're advertising a property, people ask, do you accept section eight? And um, so this is a good place to start to see just are the rents that we're asking for within line of what section eight would cover and, and allow, and um, then just what to expect if we're going to proceed with that. Yeah. And the housing authority is part of the process. They calculate, I mean, so say the rent just for easy math, we're going to say it's 1200 a month for that two bedroom and say that 30% uh, of the income for the tenant is $200 a month, then the renter will pay you a check of $200 a month for their rent. And the housing authority will, usually they use um, ACH deposit um, and they will automatically pay you $1,000 a month for the entire 12 months of the lease. So you're really guaranteed that tenant portion of the rent or the housing authority portion of the rent, I should say, um, during the tenancy. And in, in fact, like during COVID-19 and the uncertainty of the times that we're in now, um, the housing authorities are fully funded and making all of their rent payments without any delay. So um, there are times when it can be beneficial to have that uh, subsidy attached to the, the person. Um, and then the tenant is responsible for their portion if they ever um, fall behind and don't pay their portion of the rent, um, I do know that the housing authorities, any communication that you make to the tenant about um, lease violations or anything related to their lease, which obviously non-payment of rent is a lease violation, um, you copy the housing authority on those communications and they will reach out to the tenant in addition to you reaching out to the tenant and let them know how serious it is that they you know, haven't made that rent payment and they really work sort of with you to help um, get that person to, you know, be back in alignment with their lease, even if it's like a noise violation or um, an unauthorized tenant living in the unit. Um, they really do, as long as they're informed, they will step in and um, have a conversation with the renter. They won't mediate a dispute between you and the renter, but they will. They do like to be informed of any of those lease violations. Um, and if the tenant should continue to not pay their portion of the rent um, when there's not an eviction moratorium, you can certainly file an eviction against someone, even if the housing authority has paid their portion and the tenant has not. So you don't lose any of your rights as a property owner when it comes to um, the rules and regulations of the lease. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's good support to have 
uh, you know, one, one more person to, um, and, and a person with authority, you know, to, mm -hmm. uh, to speak to the tenants or send them a notice about the violation and uh, encourage them to, to get back in alignment with the lease. Mm -hmm. so definitely a good resource there. Yeah. Um, well, why don't we switch gears a little bit here and talk about um, the veterans initiatives that Housing Link is involved in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for that, since we're sharing the site, I'm just going to bring up Homes for Veterans under the Property and Own Owner and Manager tab because um, it just spells it out uh, nicely on the page. But what this is, is we're partnering with um, the Minnesota Department of Veteran Affairs and then MACSI, the Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans, and the local VA programs throughout the state. And what we do is... Um, Often, so in Minnesota, we have about 200 veterans who are on the homeless registry in the state. And of these veterans, about half of them have access to a VASH voucher, which is a Section 8 voucher on steroids. So it's the Section 8 voucher paired with regular case management services provided by staff from the VA. Um, and so that's like often weekly or monthly um, in the unit visits when it isn't COVID <laughs> um, with the renter or the veteran, um, as well as some other um, additional supports as needed. And so um, there's the, those. And then the other half of the veterans often come with um, an SSVS voucher, which is through Maxi or other resources that Maxi is able to bring to the table to help house these homeless veterans. There are a few other case management agencies also involved, but these are the you know two big ones that cover, I would say 90% of the veterans who are on that homeless registry. What we're able to do is we're pairing our Beyond Backgrounds program, which is a landlord risk mitigation fund um, with these vouchers and a couple of additional incentives. There are some of these veterans who have been chronic homeless and so long-term homeless might have some felony convictions in their background, um, might have some evictions in their background. And so what we're doing is assessing each of the veterans and those who are high barriers. So they have probably more than one um, of those barriers in their background. There's probably you know a couple of felonies or um, an eviction plus a felony in their background. Um, and those individuals, if you choose to make an exception to your rental screening criteria, and accept someone, um, one of these veterans who's participating in these programs, we can um, offer up to $1,000 of an incentive fund for taking a high barrier veteran. And we know that sometimes that inspection process with the BASH voucher or the SSBS might slow things down a little bit so we can actually move the veteran in prior to that Section 8 inspection happening and we can help cover that rent amount um, up to the point that it passes inspection. So um, that's a pretty cool resource to be able to bring to the table. I know that Minneapolis Public Housing Authority can also do that with some of their programming. Um, and then our Beyond Backgrounds Risk Mitigation Fund is $2,000 of insurance, essentially, that's above and beyond security deposit. So each of these veterans who gets housed under the program, um, has the, their landlord has access to this risk fund and all throughout the term of the lease, um, our Beyond Backgrounds team are contacting both the veteran and the landlord throughout the whole 12 months of the lease to make sure that rent has been paid and there's no 
issues happening in the unit or any behavior issues with the tenant. Um, so we really try to stay in touch with all parties so that if any issues arise, we can help to troubleshoot and um, you know, resolve any things that might come to pass. So um, we've been involved in this program since, um, well, there was a launch with Governor Walls on uh, July 30th of 2019. So coming up on a year. <laughs> okay. Well, that's definitely a, a cool program for these, the people that are in need of it. Uh, obviously, we want to mm -hmm. take care of our veterans. And so uh, we want to you know, make sure that they're not homeless. I'm, I'm wondering, is there a certain type of property or unit type that fits well for this, uh, partially because are these typically single individuals or, the, or is there families involved here? Yeah, so um, because these veterans are all a part of the um, Homeless Veteran Registry, we actually know a lot about them. And about 90% of the veterans um, are either a single adult or an adult couple household. Um, so really, we're looking primarily for studio and one-bedroom units. Um, there's high demand for the core Twin Cities, um, both Minneapolis and St. Paul and surrounding suburbs. However, we do have veterans throughout the state. And so um, I think we would always welcome any <laughs> listings, you know, to come to us if folks are willing to consider these veterans. Um, Oftentimes we will be asking that someone um, consider an exception to their rental criteria because someone, you know, may likely have something in their background that would normally get them denied um, access to the to the rental housing. Um, there are a few family uh, veteran households. And so, you know, certainly there are times where we're looking for a two or three bedroom, but definitely the biggest need is those studio and one bedroom units. Okay. Yeah, and, and as as you described, there there's going to be some uh, high risk situations, but it's very helpful to have this program backing these people up. Um, that it's providing support services to them. It's staying in touch. Uh, work. I'm assuming you know working out different issues that come up, and then also providing the insurance above and beyond the deposit. So that um, yeah, this, that'll go a long way, I think, with landlords wanting to participate. Yeah, and I think um, one of the great things about this program, too, is it really brings together um, a variety of agencies. So the landlord is never really, um, at times I've heard landlords complain about, you know, I signed up for this program and then the case manager was gone. Um, well, we've really structured this to make sure that it isn't just one individual person who's the contact. Um, we really have it structured so that you can contact any one of us at HousingLink and we'll help to resolve the issue or anyone at MACTI or the VA. Um, there really is, we all have um, data sharing agreements and we all have release of information forms signed between the agencies and with the um, veterans so that everyone is, has the legal capability to, to talk with folks and about folks um, as needed. So um, I think it's really been a, a great program to be a part of so far. I know that in the last year we've housed over 40 veterans through the program um, and we've paid you know quite a few incentive fund and vacancy loss fund payments um, but there's been no draw upon the risk mitigation fund okay. under the veterans program to date. So, Well that's great that you have that statistics to back yeah. up that. Yeah. Um, why don't we use that as a transition into some of the data that's available in, on the housing link. Um, so what can you tell us about 
the trends that are happening now, especially, you know, with COVID-19 and all that. Yeah. So I'll pop back over to the COVID-19 rental housing trends um, tab within the data and research section of the site. And, you know, um, everyone has so closely been watching uh, what's happening with COVID-19. And um, so far, we have not seen any significant impact on median rents in the Twin Cities metro area. I will say most of this data is um, in the Twin Cities metro area because it pulls from our um, Twin Cities rental review report, which is um, it's a subscription report that we have that comes out quarterly. And it really analyzes the apartment market in the seven county metro compared to the shadow market of single family townhome duplex and condo rentals. Um, and so we're capturing all of the data in the Twin Cities um, on these properties that we can get our hands on. Um, we don't have the same data sources uh, statewide at this point. So we're not able to do it fully statewide just yet. Um, but you know, you can see in January, um, a one bedroom was at 1589 and that has gone down to 1537 in April. Um, this follows a typical trend line uh, that we see sort of year over year where January, you know, usually we see rents dip a little bit in December, January, February, and then April is when they start to tick back up because leasing season really kicks off right in the spring. And then we usually see things kind of go up until about October, November, and then they start to decline a little bit again. So um, it's been really interesting to see that there hasn't been any significant dip or change. Um, we're continuing to see vacancies be advertised. People are still moving. I think we all know that. Um, and we work closely, as I said, with the Minnesota Multi-Housing Association and Greater Minnesota Housing Fund and others. And I mean, everyone is tracking what's happening with rent payments right now. Um, you know, and we're very pleased to see that um, rents are coming in strongly for most properties throughout the state. So, um, so there's not really a significant impact to date. Okay. Um, on the average rent. And if somebody wanted to dig closer into like a specific city or zip code, do they mm -hmm. have that capabilities at all with the website? So, yeah, you know, unfortunately we don't just make that publicly available through the site. Um, we do have the ability to work with folks to do some custom reporting and things. Um, but for the rental housing trends, um, that isn't just available through the site. We do have, um, if someone's really interested in understanding what subsidized housing is available in their community and you know, like how many tax credit units or how many um, project-based, you can come into our streams database. And so that's actually the second um, item under our data and research tab. And that database um, you can look at, I'm just gonna pick, um, state-funded projects by city, by county. You can zoom in um, on the map to sort of figure out where things are. Um, I'm just gonna kind of zoom in. Try to go West Metro, we'll see if I can get there. Um, and as you zoom into the map, it will sort of better refine things and start to pull the data. There's usually uh, too many properties to display sometimes. Yeah. Um, so they pop up on the map if you're using the map view. And then you can, when you click show results, it will pull everything um, below the page into a 
um, what looks almost like an Excel spreadsheet, and then you can export this data um, to be able to dig into that a little bit more deeply. Um, this does not have any um, rental contact information, um, so it doesn't, this isn't meant to be a tool for renters. This really is focused on researchers, policymakers, planners, being able to use this as a tool to understand what's happening in their city. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a great resource. Can you tell me, okay, so it's the streams link streams and how we get space. to there. Yeah, so the, you get to the streams link from, um, it's in the data and research tab and it's the second item Okay. Um, in that drop down tab. So, yeah. Perfect. And that, we've had that data available since about 2005. And we work with um, HUD, Minnesota Housing Finance Agency, and then the local cities and counties to make sure that we're capturing all of the federal and state funded um, properties within those communities. And, and that is available statewide. Okay, very good. So we've covered the different subsidized housing options that landlords have. We've covered some of the data options that we can do research and, and see what's happening in the marketplace. And we've covered the veterans of initiatives that you're working on. Um, are there any other major things that we should be aware of with uh, Housing Link? Yeah, so I think there's two other things that we have um, right now that are pretty exciting. One is the Beyond Backgrounds program overall. We have the Veterans Initiative specifically, and then we also have um, programs that cover a vast majority of the Twin Cities metro area. We're still seeking funding to really meaningfully cover Hennepin County. Um, but we're working with uh, different agencies in Dakota County, Anoka, Carver, Scott, Washington, um, Metro HRA, the Outside In Collaborative in St. Paul, Ramsey County, and then obviously the Homes for Veterans um, program. And so um, again, this is that landlord risk fund where you can get up to $2,000 um, essentially of like insurance above and beyond that security deposit. So at the termination of the lease, if there's damages that the security deposit hasn't covered, if there's unpaid rent above and beyond what the security deposit covers, court eviction filing fees, um, or any other, you know, unusual circumstances, um, we have a fair amount of flexibility of what that might be. <laughs> um, you can access up to the $2,000. Um, we launched this program in November of 2019. Not a lot of ha activity happened in November and December of that year. <laughs> so really, I think it, um, got you know much more activity after that but um through or actually it was 2017 i'm sorry we've had two years of the program 18 and 19. um we've housed a total of 162 renters through the program and there's only been two um claims against that risk fund so i think those are pretty good odds for the renters um doing a great job and we found that of all of the renters of the 162 who um got housing, we had five people who were in early lease termination of some sort. Um, and then everyone else, we have about 20 households who graduated from the program. And of those 85% remained in place or moved either to a more affordable unit or um, to a unit that better met the needs of their family. Um, but the vast majority of them actually stayed living in the place where they had moved into with their initial lease under the Beyond Backgrounds program. So our program stays with that renter for a year. And then when they graduate from the program, um, that's when, if there's any 
outstanding rent amounts or anything that the program could be accessed. But again, we've only had two people access it. So it's been pretty successful. Folks are really um, doing well. They all have a barrier of some kind in their background, whether it's um, low income, um, recent eviction, felony conviction, or multiple misdemeanor convictions. Um, and depending on the program they come with, they may or may not have some intensive case management services, but they all have um, our Beyond Background staff reaching out on a monthly basis to both the renter and the landlord to check in on how things are going. So okay. it's been a very successful program. So how do you know if you're a good fit for this? Does the landlord apply or does the tenant apply? And then is there a fee that somebody pays or how does it work? Yeah. So the renters are really the ones who apply for the program because they have to qualify. They have to have the right barriers to qualify for the funding sources that we have um, and to help connect them to the case management services. And so really the way it works for landlords is the renter might show up at your door saying that they're part of the Beyond Backgrounds program. And then the ask of a landlord is that you consider this person um, and that you would make an exception to your normal rental criteria to rent to the household. Um, and you can do that. It is legal under fair housing to do that. Um, you know, you just make a note in your files that you're making an exception due to participation in the Beyond Backgrounds program or like the Homes for Veterans program, um, if it's a veteran. And so the case managers throughout the Twin Cities uh, really know who's eligible where, and they're very actively um, applying with their clients for the programs. We are funded um, by several um, foundation and government sources, so Medica Foundation, the Department of Veterans Affairs, Minnesota Housing, Family Housing Fund, um, the Poet Family Foundation, Target Foundation, all are supporters of the work. Um, and uh, we continue to add more. Um, Bigelow Foundation and Mardig Foundation, St. Paul Foundation are all um, you know, organizations we're working with. And so um, it really is you know, just being open if you hear a new program name, uh, Beyond Backgrounds might be that program. So. Okay. try to have it be no more work for the landlord. <laughs> yeah. So then does the resident pay any fee for this insurance or is it all through the funding that you've mentioned? So at this time, the residents don't pay any fee for the insurance. We're actually looking at um, creating more of an insurance, like a true insurance model for the program where renters would be able to sort of buy into the program. Um, but to date, we have not um, finalized that with any insurance actuarial. So um, it is uh, supported by foundations and government at this point, um, but we do um, have pretty good oversight of it. We haven't seen any abuse of the program by anyone. So um, it's based on other organizations around the nation who've done this work. Um, and typically they've found you know, out in Seattle, Denver, um, Los Angeles, there's larger programs. And, um, the one in Seattle has operated the longest and they saw that less, generally less than 10% of program participants ever access the fund. And I mean, we're at like less than half a percent. So I think we're doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So, and then. Do you have any. Sort of the, I'm sorry. Oh, sure. Um, what I was going to say, the other big um, thing that we have coming out this summer is our new um, product that we're making available, which is called Housing Hubs. And this is actually, it's the first time that we're actually charging um, property managers or owners for 
a product that we're making available, but what it is is a centralized waiting list tool for any rental housing in Minnesota. And so if there's a property that's operating a waiting list, they can, um, they'll be able to add it to Housing Hub and um, renters will be able to create one account and join waiting lists from throughout um, the entire state of Minnesota and um, be able to see where they are on the waiting list and update their contact information in one place. Um, we started to develop this after talking with um, renters and with property managers about the challenges of keeping information up to date on all the different waiting lists that exist in the um, affordable space, but then also in talking with some owners around um, COVID-19 and how things are changing in the way that people are thinking about managing their properties. Um, I think this is, will be a, a great resource to consider in, you know, when you do have a vacancy coming available, do you want to have sort of a ready list of folks who have self-reported to you um, their household size, their income, and what they're looking for that they really are interested in your property. So that rather than um, trying to field a lot of phone calls and visits to the property, you would already have a you know, list of folks um, on a waiting list who are ready to come in and rent from you. Hmm. Okay. And this was typically be used for the housing projects or would a typical, would a market rate mm -hmm. um, landlord use this as well? So um, I do think that there are some market rate properties that have such high demand that they do maintain a waiting list. Um, and so they certainly, you know, would be welcome to use this. Initially, we started out developing it because of the subsidized market. Um, but, you know, we've had such a low vacancy rate for so long um, that a lot of properties have started thinking about things a little bit differently. So um, it actually will be open to both private market and subsidized properties to access. Okay. Well, neat. Uh, again, lots of great resources there. I had one question going back to the Beyond Backgrounds topic, and I'm, I'm not sure if you know the answer off the top of your head, but do you know what the demand is from potential renters, or do you have like a, a waiting list in uh, people that have applied to your program and are out looking for housing? Yeah, so um, at any given point in time, we're usually turning away about 50% of the people who apply for the program um, because they're looking to, um, because they're coming from Hennepin County and we don't have um, a fully funded program in Hennepin County yet. Um, the other thing that we see is, you know, at any given point in time, we probably have about 10 to 15 households searching in Dakota County. We probably have about 10 households searching in Anoka County, um, and then probably, you know, a handful in Carver, Washington, um, and Scott counties. Ramsey County, um, you know, we typically have around another 15 or 20 households that are searching for housing at any given point in time. So um, there's, you know, there's a big difference between like the people who are searching for a place and those who've actually gotten housed, um, you know, and so um, we do, so the like the Section 8 Housing Choice Voucher Program, they have a time limit, right? After 90 days, if you haven't been able to find a place with your voucher, you might lose it. Um, you can ask for an extension. Our program, we actually give people up to six months to find a place. And if they haven't found something, but they're still actively searching, we'll extend it for another um, three months and then up to an entire year. Um, we have very few people who have taken the entire year to find a place. Normally people find something within 
um, about three months um, of searching, but you know, we definitely have, um, we have capacity to serve um, over 300 households per year. And um, we have not hit um, that many people being housed. So there are definitely, you know, there's certainly more people out there searching uh, with the program than those we've been able to house. Sure. Okay. Well, yeah, again, a great resource for those residents who are going to have a barrier to entry because of their background. So yeah. I know we're all, you know, aware of and concerned about um, the availability of housing, especially for people that have these barriers. So this is a great, I think, uh, solution that that's been born out of that need. Yeah, well, thank you. And it's, you know, fun too. We're looking at um, creating a program where we're gonna partner with Build Wealth Minnesota. Um, yeah. They do a lot of work to help, you know, low-income folks build towards home ownership. And as part of that, they're adding on a um, renter education program and graduates of that program are actually, um, we're seeking funding for them to then also be paired with the Beyond Backgrounds Risk Fund so that they have um, even stronger possibility of overcoming some of their background and getting housed and building toward home ownership. So um, it's been a really fun program to work with. Nice. Very good. Well, we're going to get close to wrapping things up here. Any final things that you want to share about Housing Link and just what landlords should keep in mind uh, when thinking about um, your resources that are available? Yeah, so um, I would say that Housing Link of today is not the Housing Link of, you know, 1999 or 2000. Um, we are constantly evolving and changing, adding new information and resources. Um, Beyond Backgrounds, I think, is a great example of a new program that we've been able to add. Um, in 2020, um, probably about the fall of 2020, we'll be launching um, a free education series for um, property owners and managers in Minnesota, uh, partnering with the cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, as well as um, Kathy McKenna-Harmon and the, her My Coach um, training program to bring resources to small owners that um, folks just might not normally get access to or have the time to find. And we're gonna kind of bring it all into one central place um, and partnering too with the Minnesota Multi-Housing Association. Um, so I think, you know, we're always working on things. Um, we welcome any questions or inquiries from, you know, landlords. So feel free to come to our website, reach out to us. Um, if you're interested in the veterans programming, Kahari Smith Brewer is our um, outreach person and he'd be happy to talk with you and help get you connected to the program. Um, you know, and we're, we're happy to, we answer all kinds of questions, whether it's about, you know, someone wants to add a companion animal to their unit. What does that mean to, you know, I have a renter who moved out without saying anything. What do I do? Uh, you know, we help connect people to all kinds of answers. So, um, we're happy to be here as a resource and we love to get your, uh, vacancy listings on our site so that we can help people get into your housing. Yep. Well, yeah, obviously you've got uh, a, something that you're offering to landlords as far as um, a place to advertise their rentals. And you're offering a lot of value in order to get us to your site with all the resources that are there. So I, I appreciate that approach. Um, it's not just another listing site. It's a listing site with a lot of resources. Yeah. So um, as we close out here, I do have just a couple of questions about you so that the audience can get to know you a little bit better. And number one will be, why do you get up in the morning? 
Wow, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, I really, I love the work that I do. Um, I love the unique nature of Housing Link um, and the way that we get to operate in the world. We're really an intermediary agency that, you know, working between landlords and tenants and government. Um, so we get to be involved in a lot of different conversations, but at the end of the day, we're helping people um, find a place for their family to live um, and, you know, uh, and also helping just to sort of lift everyone up. So um, that's really a, a lot of it. Like a, it's fun to come to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good to have a job that you like. Yeah. Um, very good. And question number two is what's an event or a person in your history that was monumental in creating who you are today? Hmm. So I hope it isn't too cliche. Um, I will say that my dad is actually someone who was extremely influential in my life. Um, he is someone who, you know, had gone through some struggles uh, at different points in his life, um, but was someone who really came to be a very um, open, compassionate person and really unconditionally loving and always having time for his colleagues and his friends and his children and family and um, always was a helpful resource to people around him. Um, and so I think I learned so much from him through, you know, the changes that he went through um, in his adult life and being able to see that. I hope that I've been able to model some of that, um, you know, so sad. <laughs> yeah, very good. Good tribute to him. Um, and then, so as we wrap up here, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you or Housing Link in general if they have questions mm -hmm. or like it more information? Sure. Um, so I'll plug the website one more time. It's uh, housinglink.org. And um, the best way to get me is probably email, which is fgomez, so S-G-O-M-E-Z, at housinglink.org. And then my number is 612 extension 109 um, and that does ring through on my cell phone so <laughs> so I'm always available <laughs> okay well Sue I appreciate so much you taking the time to share about housing link with the audience yeah thank you uh, yes of course and then to our audience uh, thank you for tuning into this episode if you got anything out of this be sure to let us know that you're listening and watching a uh, great way to do that is just comment on our YouTube video, or you can go ahead into the Apple podcast platform and give us a rating and review there. So uh, we appreciate you tuning in and we'll be sure to catch you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. 
I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.